Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. I've been talking about LearnTrue, T-R-U-E, history.com. You've heard about it several times in the introduction of this podcast. So get on out to LearnTrueHistory.com to get history the way it was intended to be told with no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. But not only that, I've got my new How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, my forthcoming book. So I want you to go to LearnTrueHistory.com to sign up for that great program. But also, if you go to BlameHamilton.com, you can get in on some giveaways for my forthcoming book. So two websites for you, LearnTrueHistory.com and BlameHamilton.com. Get in on both of those things. LearnTrueHistory.com is the place to go to learn history the way it was intended to be told. BlameHamilton.com is where you learn about how Alexander Hamilton was the greatest villain in American history. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. started all the typical things if you do like this podcast please share it around on social media and you can find me on social media you can find me on facebook you can like me there just search for brian mcclanahan that's brian with an o or at brian mcclanahan you can follow me on twitter at brian mcclanahan and you can subscribe to my youtube page again search for brian mcclanahan if you don't want to go out and search for those things you can go to my webpage brianmcclanahan.com all the links for my social media accounts are at the top of the page also, you can give me an email address and you will get my free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook read by yours truly, Forgotten Founders, as well. And while you're at brianmcclanahan.com, if you go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support, you can throw a few pennies my way to help support the Brian McClanahan Show. Also, just want to remind you that it's less than a month away now from the release of How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America. If you want to get the bonus giveaways, you need to go to BlameHamilton.com. That's BlameHamilton.com and follow all the directions. Really, all you need to do is pre-order one copy and I'll send you a free ebook, The Jeffersonian Solution. If you order two or more, I will send you the ebook and a six-lecture course on Alexander Hamilton. And of course, anyone who uh, pre-orders the book and uh, gets registered for the giveaways, will also be registered for a contest to win a master-level membership to libertyclassroom.com. So if you're already a master-level member, uh, no worries. There are some gift cards involved, too, if you actually win the contest. So uh, going out to blamehamilton.com, all the details are there, and get in on that. Again, September 18th is the day the book comes out, and that is the day the giveaways end. So you want to get them before they're gone. Okay, well... Uh, I want to do something today that's uh, perhaps a little different, um, but it's going to be on the theme of what screwed up America, right? So uh, we, we often talk about presidents who screwed up America, or I do, and Alexander Hamilton screwed up America, but I want to focus on a particular period of time that I don't think gets enough credit for causing some of the problems that we have today in, in American society, and that is the 1990s. Now, you might think to yourself, the 1990s, wait a second here, the 90s were great. Uh, I grew up in the 90s, or I, you know, I, I was in college in the 90s, maybe if you're a you know, middle-aged person listening to the program, or I was born in the 90s, uh, so the 90s were fantastic. Uh, maybe you're a little older, maybe you're someone who was uh, you know, coming of age in the 80s, or maybe the 70s, uh, but the 90s really were a transformational period in America. 
for a lot of reasons. And I'm going to go into that in this particular podcast because, again, I don't think that they get the credit that they should for causing some of the problems, particularly the, the attack on Western civilization that we're seeing today. So if you think about people will often say, well, the 1960s were the problem. And I go back to Pat Buchanan's speech uh, in August of 1992 at the Republican convention. This is the culture war speech after he had lost his primary opposition to George H.W. Bush. Uh, he was trying to, uh, to uh, uh, he challenged him in, in the 1992 primaries. Buchanan made this speech where he placed a lot of blame for the problems in America on a coming culture war. And when you go back and you read that speech, uh, you'll find that he was 25 years ahead of his time in 1992, and no one really believed him in 92. Uh, I remember when, when that speech was made in the aftermath of that, um, people looked at it and said, this just isn't happening. This isn't, this isn't going to happen. Uh, but he was prophetic in that what he, what he prophesied in 1992 didn't really come around until the 2000s. And there's a reason for that. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. But he was already saying, look, these things are going to happen. If we elect Bill Clinton and Al Gore, these are the things that are going to happen. And I remember, you know, because I was young in the, in the early 90s and the 1992 election. And I remember thinking uh, and, and listening to young people think about that election. And, of course, Bush was very unpopular because you had the, the Gulf War, and then you had, which was popular in 1990 and 91, it was very popular. But then that turned into a terrible economic crash, at least after that. And so uh, Clinton was able to focus on uh, the economy. And also Bill Clinton had this kind of Kennedy persona. He was bringing back the 1960s. And I think that's the key to the 1990s. So you look at the 1990s. Or at least, let's start with the 60s. We, we can blame a lot of things on the 1960s, right? From the 1960s, you had the counterculture or the hippies. And, of course, they were a bunch of petulant children throwing temper tantrums and fits when things weren't going their way. And they were, quote-unquote, challenging authority. And uh, they were challenging the, the status quo and tradition in America and all these other things they were going after. Uh, they were going after the, the fact that you had a... Uh, a male-dominated society or, you know, traditionally dominated society. They didn't like any of those things. The thing was, in the 1960s, though, is that the hippies were generally tempered by their parents. Their parents were the World War II generation. And I remember, uh, you know, talking to my grandmother about this um, years ago, uh, before she died. And she would say, you know, the 1960s, those were our children. Uh, you know, we, we were the ones that messed some things up there because they were our children and we didn't temper them enough. And I, I, that's probably true. But also at the same time, you have to understand that while they may not have tempered them enough, they did temper them. These are kids that had no political power whatsoever. I mean, the counterculture movement really had no impact. And to give you the best example, no political impact in a lot of ways, to give you a great example of that, all you have to do is look at the 1972 election where Richard Nixon won in a crushing landslide in 1972 because you had what he called the silent majority. You had people out there who didn't believe in all this stuff, who didn't believe in all the social transformations that they saw taking place, who didn't think the hippies really had were, were good people, uh, that they were, again, a bunch of petulant children. The problem is, politically, 
1972, you still had a bunch of World War II generation people around. I mean, you think about 1972, those people were in their 60s, you see, and by uh, 50s and 60s. So they're, they're late middle age, getting into being elderly. Uh, and at that point, they have all the power. Those people, what, what young people don't realize is that when you're young, you have no power and you have no say. People really don't care what you think when you're in your 20s. Uh, now, we're seeing that uh, with 20-year-old entrepreneurs and things on, online, you can have a little more influence. But no one really cares what you think when you're in your 20s. By the time you get to your 40s, you have much more influence in a lot of different ways because you are the middle-aged people and you are starting to run things. By the time you're in your 50s and 60s, you are running things because you have all the money and uh, you, are, you are running society in your 50s and 60s and 70s. So uh, that, that's important for right now. So 1960s, these hippies, these uh, flower children, the counterculture, they really don't have any type of influence in American society. There were some changes, of course, in the in the uh, in the 60s but they were brought about primarily by the world war ii generation not the hippies themselves if you go back and look at uh some of the major social transformations in the 50s and 60s again it was it only happened because you had the world war ii generation interested in those particular changes um, they were the ones that were driving these things so the the, the hippies really had no role but by the but by the 1990s these hippies these counterculture people, these 1960s radicals, were now in their 50s, 40s, in some cases their 60s. By the, you know, uh, you look at uh, when Pat Buchanan made a very funny comment in in his 1992 speech where he said, you know, Ted Kennedy, uh, uh, how many 60-year-olds uh, are still going to Florida for spring break? But Ted Kennedy was, and that was the thing about the 60s generation; they never grew up. They were perpetual adolescents. They never realized that you have to grow out of being a child. And so by the time you get to the 1990s, these hippies, these people that had come of age in the 1960s and into the 70s, well, 20 years later, now they're in their 40s, 50s, and early 60s. And guess what? They're now running things. They're controlling the educational establishments. They're controlling the pop culture. Uh, and not only that, they are determining how people think about the past. And I remember that because, of course, I came of age in the 1990s. Now, I'm, in my, I'm middle-aged now, and I remember growing up in the 90s and seeing some fairly interesting shifts in the people that were my contemporaries, young people. And I remember thinking in the 1990s, and there was this, this kind of, uh, you know, uh, resurrection of the 1960s. It was the neo-hippie movement. You know, you had people my age following the Grateful Dead, for example, and uh, you had the band Fish that uh, people were interested. So there's just kind of this resurrection of the 1960s. The 60s were cool again. And it wasn't just, it, it, it came from, say, the music. You know, you had classic rock stations uh, become very popular in the 1990s. So they were playing a lot of the old 60s and 70s music. Uh, you had films come out in the 1990s like uh, Dazed and Confused, which was a, I mean, look, it, it was a very funny film, but it was kind of this glorifying the, or the, the early to mid-1970s. Uh, and that was basically just an extension of the 60s. That's really all it was. 
And uh, I mean, I was caught up in all this stuff too. I thought, well, this stuff is great. You know, I, this '60s sound fun. It sounds cool. You know, so uh, and 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 people were really getting into that in the 1990s. Uh, plus, you had some very interesting uh, underlying social currents with popular culture taking place in America. But before I get to that, you look at the 1992 election, and it really was a watershed election because that's the first time we've had. The 1960s generation now given political power on a substantial basis. Bill Clinton was a 1960s liberal. So was his wife, Hillary Clinton. And you read that Pat Buchanan speech, and he points this out very clearly. One thing he said about Hillary, which was which was interesting, was her ideas on or her idea on marriage and family, uh, and essentially the destruction of marriage and family, and how she was very much for that. Uh, even though Hillary and Bill Clinton stayed married, and they're still married, they don't really have a traditional marriage. Uh, and it was this idea that marriage, in her mind, she compared it to uh, you know, being imprisoned. And you saw that in the 1960s, you know, as, as you got the modern feminist movement taking hold. You saw some of this language in the, in the 1960s. Uh, you had Al Gore with his push for environmentalism. Uh, which he said was the greatest threat or the greatest single issue in, in, in history. And so you started seeing this transformation in pop culture towards a much more uh, you know, government-sponsored environmentalist position. Now, there's nothing wrong with the idea of um, cutting back on the throwaway society on uh, doing things that are more healthy for the environment uh, as uh, Christians, you have a they have a, a charge to be stewards of God's creation. Uh, but this was different. This was a worship of the environment like a religion, uh, uh, almost a paganistic uh, worship of the land and Mother Earth and these type of things. Uh, you see it right now. We have the Burning Man celebration out in the desert. Uh, this is a pagan celebration of the earth. And so it didn't have anything to do with Christianity, being a good steward of the environment. You, know, uh, you look at, for example, in the 1930s, there were Southerners, the, tw- the Southern agrarians who wrote I'll Take My Stand, talking about being good stewards of the environment and being farmers and trying to have this agrarian position. But the 1990s and the 1960s were not in line with that particular view of environmentalism. It was a view of environmentalism where uh, we need to worship the planet that we live on, save our planet. Uh, type of thing. So Gore was, in so many ways, you know, expressing this 1960s type of environmentalism on a very large stage. And you're going to start seeing this influence popular culture as you move forward. But all kinds of social issues, uh, the idea of diversity, whatever, you know, this, this catchphrase of diversity or inclusion, which really meant, underlying that, was an attack on Western civilization an attack on Christianity, an attack on the very foundations of uh, the United States. And it just hadn't come out to full expression yet, because these people in the 1990s, they had just started running things. You know, when they were coming up, you still have the World War II generation. They had some ideas, but again, they were tempered. By the 1990s, that World War II generation is now in their 70s. They're getting into their 80s. And then by the 2000s, they're in their 90s. Uh, and they're starting to die off. So now this 60s generation, which has fermented for years, which has now controlled all the major establishments, they're starting to teach people of my generation. My generation thought the 19, 1960s were pretty cool. 
And so by the time you get to the 2000s, in my generation now, and you look at Barack Obama's election in 2008, that was an expression of middle-aged people who had been taught these social values from the hippie generation, their parents in many cases, or in the educational institutions. Now they're having a full expression. You know, Obama is not a 60s child. He's a child after that. But he was taught by 60s leftists. And so his America was a reflection of the things he was taught. And so the, the uh, 1960s leftists knew exactly what they were doing by infiltrating the educational organizations, by infiltrating pop culture. And I'm going to point some things out in this. So um, you look at some of the things that um, in the 1990s that were popular. Let's start with music. I, I love music. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of music. Uh, and I do like some of the 90s music. I mean, I grew up during that time. So this is, uh, it came of age in that time. So this is uh, music that um, when I go back and look at it and I, I think of those things, well, I have some fond memories of this. And I'm not talking about country music uh, or, or that type of music, um, but looking at some of the music that was popular among young people outside the country genre, okay? Because um, country, people that listen to country music tend to be generally traditional type Americans. Uh, you know, they, a lot of people from the South, Midwest, the, the, the flyover country, as the left calls it, where country music was still king. But you started seeing, uh, and I, I, you started seeing a, an influence of different types of music. So take, for example, the grunge phase of the early 1990s. And I think that grunge was, was indicative, and of course, this came out of Seattle. Okay, so the grunge music... Bands like Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and some of these things. This was coming out of Seattle. And these people were in their 20s in the 1990s. Uh, they had been taught by the 60s generation. And what you saw was a complete lack of respect in many ways for themselves uh, and things they were doing to themselves in the excessive use of drugs. Of course, you saw that in the 1980s as well uh, with some of the 80s bands. But the excessive use of drugs, uh, this, when you think of grunge, you know, the dirt and the filth, these people had no respect for uh, maintaining themselves or their place around them. I remember in the 90s how people would just, even though you had this, you know, respect Mother Earth and all these other kind of things, people didn't respect their own property or their own physical person anymore. They looked dirty. Uh, there was a push against, you know, uh, trying to uh, look presentable in public. And you see that to this day. And I think some of that came out of the 60s. You know, when you started seeing uh, people start wearing blue jeans more and more, it's because they were trying to be in league with their 1960s radical brethren, uh, and it became, you know, chic and, and uh, happen, uh, happening to wear a blue jeans uh, because that showed you were a working class person. Well, in the 1990s, no one wanted to be wanted to show that they were wealthy anymore. Uh, there was a backlash against the glitz and glamour, supposedly, of the 1980s. So we're going to look as filthy and as run down as we can. Uh, we're not going to we're not going to make ourselves look presentable anymore uh, wearing ripped pants and all these other things. This was perfectly fine to do in public. And you started seeing some of this in the 80s, but really by the 90s, you know, looking as looking as down as you can drab. Uh, that was that was the grunge era. And you look at the the uh, themes of, of a lot of the grunge music, angst, teenage angst, 
uh, you you had uh, of course you know, as I said before you know drug abuse as as part of these things uh, in in ways that you really hadn't seen I, I mean I you know you even go back to the 60s music and while there was a social agenda with a lot of that in some ways it was positive uh, by the 1990s the music is no longer positive it's it's uh, it's very uh, depressing. Uh, and you started seeing some of this in the 80s with this alternate scene with bands like uh, The Cure or Depeche Mode and some of these. Uh, but by the 1990s, there was a full expression of this across the board from the early 90s, really into the early 2000s in the, uh, the neo-grunge phase with bands like Stained. Uh, th- this was uh, teenage angst and depression at the highest level. And you wonder what happened here. It's because they were told over and over by the 60s generation through the educational establishment, through the K through 12 establishment, and then through the universities, that America stunk, that it was all bad and all terrible, and everyone, it was all race, class, gender. Everyone didn't like you. Uh, everyone hated. The, America was formed on a lie from the beginning. From the beginning. This is, this is the Marxist attack on America that had been ingrained in the educational establishment. So these people that were young now, young little minds of mush, told in the 1990s, or maybe even in the 80s by some of these hippies in the schools, that uh, everything was wrong. America was built on a false premise. America was a bad place. They delegitimized the entire system. And now they come up and they look around and they think, gosh, everything is awful. Everyone's a victim. Nobody can, nobody can control their own life, and there's no promise. There's no positivity anymore. It's all negative. And you saw that full expression in the grunge, uh, in grunge music. And then, and then you have uh, bands like Rage Against the Machine. And if you listen to Rage Against the Machine, the, the, the music, I used to love the music. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I like that kind of, of, uh, of music. It had very interesting guitar riffs, and it was... It was um, it was interesting, but you listen to the lyrics, and this is this is a rap rock fusion band. If you're not familiar with it, uh, but it's a very violent uh, band. Uh, just think of rage against the machine. These people are radical Marxists that were that were uh, in this band, and uh, they made Marxism quote unquote cool. And I remember this. I mean, it was everyone is a secret Klansman if you oppose the leftist agenda. You're a Nazi if you oppose the leftist agenda. And there was a, a particular song that they had, and um, the language was uh, s- um, some of those who um, uh, choose forces are the same who burn crosses. Essentially, it was an attack on the law enforcement establishment um, and saying that these people are all just, they're all just white supremacists. This is what we hear today now. That language is being used. It's a full expression of it. Why? Because people in their 20s were listening to this. And of course, then they're starting to have kids in the 90s. And you look at who's behind some of this stuff on college campuses now and some of the rhetoric that's being thrown around. It's young people because they have gotten it from their parents who have gotten it from popular culture then anyone who is uh, somewhat right of, say, Barack Obama is somehow this evil Nazi. Anything that's on, on, not on the 3x5 index card of allowable opinion is, again, it's a great phrase that Tom came up with with that. 
is somehow a Nazi. And that's because of the popular cultures, because of the music of the 90s that has that is fostered this type, this type of discourse, where everything is some type of conflict scenario. People cannot get along because of their race. People cannot get along because of their class status. People cannot get along if they're men or women. And the, the main result of that, of course, has been the attempt, uh, as you see across college campuses and across uh, mainstream culture, to minimize the, uh, the role of men in Western civilization in society. Uh, and so uh, what we would often call the demasculinization of America. Um, and it's happening uh, before our eyes. I mean, this, these type of things are happening, but it was fostered by the 1960s generation. Then by the 1990s, when these people are in charge, they start putting it out there in the educational establishment or in the pop culture. Another, another example of this is things like uh, 1990s pop culture sitcoms. Now, uh, for example, one of the, the, the most popular, two of the most popular sitcoms in the 90s were Seinfeld and Friends. And they were dramatically different types of sitcoms. Seinfeld is a very funny show. But the premise in it is that you have these four 20s, 30s people who never get married, who uh, live very promiscuous lives. They live in New York City. They do things that kids would do when they're 12 and 13. They're, it's like they're 12 or 13 perpetually. Uh, and that was highly influential in how people thought about relationships, uh, they were just a full expression of what people were thinking in the 90s about relationships, about family, about you know, being tied down with kids or these type of things. Uh, they were certainly uh, a full expression of how this 1990s generation, whether they're in their teens or 20s or maybe even in their 30s in the 90s, were thinking about society. It was hip and cool to reject traditional standards of family. The sitcom, the family sitcom, was going away in the 90s. Now, you did have the, uh, the sitcom Home Improvement in the 90s, which was uh, you know, very traditional. And a lot of people who were beyond young people liked that show and watched it. And it was funny. Uh, and then you had Friends, which, again, was a very similar situation. You had these friends who had gone to college together. Now they're living in a city, and it's all the, the relationship struggles, and no one's getting married. They just sit in a coffee shop all the time and talk. This is what they did in Seinfeld. It's a very similar structure because this is what it was thought that life was. You just have multiple relationships, multiple quote-unquote hookups. You might have a long-term something or other, but no one really uh, focuses. Now, at the end of Friends, of course, there was marriage and babies and things of that because that was seen as kind of... But they were always resisting this. There was always a resistance to this type of, of, uh, of life. You didn't go out and get married... In, pop, in the popular imagination and have the house and the family and all. But even if you did in the 90s, it was thought that that still wasn't really your primary goal. Your primary goal still was career-driven, uh, you know, these type of things. The family was just, you know, put them in, in the private school or, or put them in the school and uh, you still do what you're going to do in your life. Uh, everyone in the family is going to do that. Uh, and so it was a much different view of American society. And so now those uh, people of the 90s are the middle-aged people, and they're starting to run things. You know, they, are, they are the teachers. They're the professionals. These are the people out in society who had these particular types of views of American society. 
in the 1990s. And yes, as you get older, you tend to become a little more conservative. But you still hang on to some of the pop culture views that you had when you were a young person. You saw, you see that in the 60s generation. And some 60 peoples in the 60s generation, well, they're, they're very conservative. And some of the peoples in the 90s generation, very conservative. This, this is that without question. And I think you saw that in some ways with the 2016 election. There is a pushback against some of this stuff that's going on in American society today. And you are still seeing it in a pushback on some of the other things happening that people are not happy about uh, with this attack on Western civilization. But certainly, the 2000s are a byproduct of the 90s, without question, because now the young people who were born in the 90s, who grew up in the early 2000s, the millennial generation, born uh, in that period of time, who came of age in the early 2000s, and now are in their 20s and 30s, uh, they are starting to have a little bit of an influence, and they've been told their entire life that America is a bad place. You just think about the phrase that Michelle Obama uh, said, when she said, for the first time in my life, I'm proud of America. That's exactly what these people think. They are, they are continually, and this is the progressive mantra, you have to continually move the goalposts. You can't, you can't ever achieve anything that you want because that achieving something would say that you're finished reforming, and that's never going to happen. But also you look at how Americans uh, conduct themselves in public. I, one thing I also was surprised about in the 90s is how young people had a complete disregard for property. They would uh, destroy things. Uh, there was a, a, an individual I went to college with who got upset one time about his uh, checkout process in his dorm. And so he went and he drew all over the walls uh, in the common lounge uh, vulgarities and graffiti and everything else because he was mad. He was a little petulant child. And this was tolerated and accepted. Uh, it was okay to be a petulant child. It's okay to need safe spaces and coloring books and all these other kind of things. We've had a group of perpetual, perpetual adolescents, the 1960s generation, teach another group of, of young people to be perpetual adolescents, and now they're teaching another generation of people to be perpetual adolescents. So what we've got is a, is a society that is perpetually adolescent. They throw fits like petulant children. This is what you're seeing now in the attacks on monuments, uh, in the attacks on traditional culture and society. This is why they're doing it, because their feelings are being hurt. And I talked about emotivism before in another podcast. So, I mean, this is, but, but this is what's going on. This is why I say the 1990s really were a watershed. You had Bill Clinton, 1960 generation, now come into power. And, of course, there was a backlash against that, the, the, the 1994 election in Congress. But those Republicans really didn't do anything uh, major. Um, and that was because the conservative generation said, whoa, 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 wait a second here. We don't want this. Uh, we got Clinton, less than 50% of the popular vote, so we're going to try to push back against this. And you saw that, but you saw the establishment, as it always does, they're, they're more interested in, in progressive uh, ideas than anything else. And so, uh, but you saw in 2008 another full expression, uh, you know, uh, 20 years later, essentially, almost 20 years later, another full expression of, the, of this 1960s mentality takeover in Washington, D.C., and it pits people against each other because everything is evil. Everything in America, <clears throat> everything in American history, everything in the American tradition is evil. So this is why I say the 1990s were this, were this turning point. And I don't know uh, if there's really a way to go back. Um, it, it, I think it has to start, again, the mantra, think locally, act locally. More importantly, think in your family. If you're against these kind of things, you have to essentially 
uh, structure your family in a way that's going to be insulating from these type of, of uh, outside influences. And uh, it's very difficult because you're in society, you're in pop culture, you see what's going on, you think, gosh, it's hard to be different. And it is hard to be different. But there are more different people out there than you think who are saying enough is enough. We don't like what happened. We don't like this transformation of America that's taken place. We don't like how all these things, and I'm just trying to point out where it all comes from. We all see it. Uh, but we don't like these transformations that are taking place. And so we're going to insulate our family and think about that first and foremost. So uh, I think that when you look at American society, it really was the 90s that were a, a major turning point because you had uh, the middle-aged uh, radical leftists of the 60s and they were influencing a generation. Now that generation is now middle-aged and they're starting to influence the next generation. And you really see the, the, the after effect of that. It, this is going to be a very long destructive process and I'm not certain how it's going to shake out but um, you have to start locally within your family within your local communities to try to insulate yourself from these things that's the only way to stop it all right well I'll see you next time on the Brian McClanahan show